0: Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple.
0: Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, My name is Ben, and I got to tell you, Noel, I I am drinking coffee that I bought today. Not from home, from like a store. Moving on up. Oh, my goodness.
1: I am. My name's Noel. I'm drinking coffee that I bought from a store, but I was in such a rush. I didn't even put it in a glass. I'm just drinking it out of the big, giant container. Mm. Props to stock cold brew coffee. You definitely don't sponsor the show but I surely sponsor them with my money. Uh, low and slow, 10-hour brew. Highly recommend it. Pick some up at your local uh, convenience store. I'm um, Speaking of things you pick up at local convenience store, uh, why, why is a tomato a fruit, Ben? What cruel trick of God is that, that tomato is a fruit?
0: Ah, uh, I'm still going to do my segue anyway. Uh, I'll, I will tell you, but first I want to give a shout-out to the coffee I bought, It's called Hawaii Kona Blend Coffee. It's a product of Japan. I went to a Japanese convenience store with the weird name, Tomato. I asked someone who worked there why it's called Tomato, and they said that's just the name of the store, which qualifies as an answer, doesn't it? Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, A tomato is a fruit because it has – a fruit is just a seed-bearing structure, right? And, you know, if you bite into a tomato – If you're a madman, or if you slice a tomato, you'll see all the little seeds in there, right? Do people bite into tomatoes? Yeah, but I mean, a squash has seeds, you know, a zucchini's got seeds. Well, it's weird because they're part of the same thing, too. That's what's misleading. So if we're looking at it from a botanical perspective, fruits contain seeds and come from the flower of a plant, but the rest of the plant is ah, a vegetable, yes. right?
1: Uh-huh. Ah, see, you finally you solved it for me. I get it. I have a very complicated relationship with tomatoes, Ben. I think a lot of kids... Grew up probably liking tomatoes in certain forms, like, you know, spaghettios and stuff. But then when it comes to, like, eating a tomato off the vine, I've certainly seen little kids that are down for just chomping on a ripe tomato. But my mom liked them so much, she resented the fact that I despised them and once forced me to eat uh, raw tomato at the dinner table. And I proceeded to vomit all over the table. Um, And it's a cautionary tale uh, for trying to force your kids to eat things they don't like.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's a a shame that our super producer, Casey Pegram, is here in spirit today, so I'm going to be shouting out the uh, future Casey. Casey, you're on adventures, but I I remember uh, with great fondness our conversations over the years about uh, what does or does not comprise a picky eater, Mm. and you're right. Tastes change over time, Noel. Uh, There's a weird—I want to see if any fellow Ridiculous historians have noticed this. There seems to be a weird— Taste shift as people grow up from ketchup toward mustard as far as like their favorite basic condiment. I never had a huge issue with tomatoes, but I know that they're a divisive thing and they're very form sensitive. Like just like you said, people might love a pasta sauce, but they may hate the actual tomato. And historically, this is an echo of at least in the U S this is an echo of our huge weird relationship with tomatoes. It's crazy that people don't talk about it more often. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody else had this misconception, but when I was quite young, I just kind of assumed tomatoes were Italian because I associated them with pasta sauce. But they're not. They're uh, they're Mesoamerican. We have proof that the tomato was eaten in the Aztec culture as early as 700 A.D. when it was called the tomato.
1: The tomato, not to be confused with Quetzalcoatl, which I believe was also an Aztec c- c- god. I forget. Um, Yeah, uh, it's name in the Nhuatl language, uh, which I guess maybe they had a lot of uh, suffixes that were autol. Yeah, but it wasn't until uh, nearly 1600 that uh, they began to be grown in Britain. Um, And in the early 16th century, you had these Spanish conquistadors that were coming back from expeditions to Mesoamerica where they were seeing this fruit, I'm going to say, I have to say it, it's official, but it doesn't make any sense to me, but here we are, uh, and they brought it back, you know, as uh, conquistadors are wont to do, Um, and some folks credit Cortez for bringing the uh, the tomato seeds back to Europe in 1519, Uh, it's really funny too, because it wasn't even considered like a foodstuff. It was grown for exclusively like aesthetic purposes, um, ornamental purposes. Um, and there's a really great line from John Parkinson, who's the apothecary, uh, to James the First, King James the First, and he was also a botanist for King Charles the First. And he uh, <laughs> this is also kind of I don't know, this term to me just grosses me out for some reason, but it's referred to sometimes as a love apple, mm-hmm. a tomato. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes me a little squeamish. I don't know why. But here's here's from our boy, John Parkinson, proclaiming that while the love apples were eaten by the people in the hot countries to cool and quench the heat and thirst of the hot stomachs. <laughs> uh, Brits really only grew them kind of as like a novelty, right? And because they're, you know, they're pretty. They're, they're nice and round and shiny. And they, they do look nice.
0: Yeah, it's similar to how kudzu, when it first came to the U.S., was grown uh, entirely as like a porch decoration. It was ornamental as well. Uh, People didn't uh, put as much emphasis on eating it, though. You can find a couple recipes. But one of the earliest European references to this ever, to tomato as a food, was made by an Italian herbalist named Pietro Andre Mattoli, who said he called it a golden apple. So people were comparing tomatoes to the closest visual analog they had, which was the apple. So you call them golden apples or love apples, which I agree is kind of gross. And Pietro made a huge misstep that would have consequences and ripple effects for centuries to come. Uh, He classified the tomato as a kind of nightshade or mandrake. Uh, the mandrake has a long, long history. You can find references to it in the Old Testament. And that, that translation is where we get the phrase love apple from because the Hebrew word is uh, dudam, D-U-D-A-I-M. And that translates kind of roughly to love apple. And so when Pietro classified the tomato as a mandrake, he did character assassination, it may seem super sketchy. It was poisonous. Then it was also somehow associated with temptation. There were probably a couple of Europeans who genuinely believed that just maybe the apple that Eve offered to Adam was something very much like a tomato. And then the hits of inaccuracies and plagiarization keep coming. Uh, There's a guy named John Gerald who publishes a book in 1597 called Herbal. It's pronounced herbal, but I like Herbal. It sounds fancy. Uh, And this spread stuff like, uh, here's a quote. Gerard considered the whole plant to be of rank and stinking savor. The fruit was corrupt, which he left to every man's censure. While the leaves and stalk of the tomato plant are toxic, the fruit is not. I want to point something
1: out really quickly. I mean, let's cut a tomato in half and let's take a look inside it. There is something somewhat, dare I say, titillating about it. And I I could see how in the mind of, like, you know, the time, maybe it was looked at as being somewhat corrupt because it has the appearance of something of a sex organ, maybe? I, I'm sorry, I'm I don't, I'm not trying to be gross. I'm really just conjecturing here because, you know, so many other, like, it really is a much more squishy and kind of uh, succulent kind of, you know, I think that's the texture of it is what weirds a lot of people out. But I'm wondering if that was literally just in people's heads where, oh my gosh, this is a corrupt and wicked fruit because it's too, like,
0: moist and squishy. Hmm, yeah, you know, it's a good question because... You know, the, the idea of eroticism of plant matter is, is surprisingly common. T.S. Eliot said, do I dare to eat a peach? And that, was, that whole poem is a reference to other works. Uh, and then Georgia O'Keeffe, you don't have to look very far for eroticism of plant matter. So that may have something to do with it. Uh, there's something else here. People thought tomatoes were dirty, especially fancy people in Europe. Because even though Spanish cooks in the 15th century started adopting it after they saw it used in Mesoamerica, as you mentioned earlier, uh, and Italian Italians didn't pick it up immediately, uh, especially the aristocrats, because tomatoes hung low to the ground, and so this made them seem dirty. Uh, British people knew this, but they also knew that people in Spain and Italy who had you know uh, bit the bullet or I guess bit the tomato and tried it out. They knew they weren't dying, so a tomato wouldn't automatically kill you. But still, there were a lot of rumors. In fact, in the late 1700s, a ton of Europeans feared the tomato. It had a third apple nickname. I don't think we mentioned this first. We said golden apple. We said love apple. It was also called the poison apple. Oh, the poison apple.
1: That's right, because it was somewhat, because you know, maybe connected to this uh, fear of it being unclean. It was rumored to be poisonous. Uh, it was feared across Europe in the late 1700s because of that very nickname, and it was connected to this notion that there was a spate of, of sickness uh, around eating tomatoes that struck the aristocratic class, uh, that many of them fell ill and died after eating the dreaded poison apples. Uh, But it had nothing to do with the, uh, the fruit at all. It had to do with the, uh, the flatware. Um, These fancy Europeans were using pewter plates, which were super high in lead content. And we know, what that does, it will kill you dead, lead. That's how you remember, because it rhymes. Um, because tomatoes are so high in acid um, that when they are placed onto this particular type of material, the fruit would actually suck up lead content from the plate into the actual fruit itself, um, because of the nature of, you know, the very porous nature of the tomato. So that was death due to lead poisoning. So there was a conduit with the tomato, but it wasn't the tomato itself that was causing people to get sick. Uh, So, you know, it was an easy kind of fall guy. Uh, fall fruit. But there are other researchers, uh, some of whom are credited in in a fabulous Atlas Obscura article when tomatoes were blamed for witchcraft and werewolves, uh, who said that tomatoes don't have a high enough acidity to leach uh, the materials from pewter plates. And that, that also the idea that lead poisoning isn't something that kills you right on the spot. It's something that sort of builds up in your system, sort of like slowly feeding somebody ground up
0: glass in a prison type situation. Is that something people do? Yep, You never seen Oz? That's the thing. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, you're, you're right, though, you're right. The science shows that the way tomatoes work and the way lead poisoning works don't they make it unlikely that that would be the case. But of course, now, if you go into any major European city, you'll be hard-pressed to not see a tomato, right? They're super popular. Why is that? Well. It All comes down to the creation of one of Ridiculous History's culinary superheroes. That's right, the pizza. The pizza, this is what Eric Andre would call a brave yet controversial claim. Uh, Pizza is commonly thought to have began, the modern version of it, in Naples, in Campania, in 1889. So when the pizza hit the scene... The tomato rode its coattails to (laughs) widespread popularity. Rode its crust tails. We'll work it out. We'll Uh, we'll fix it I can't help
1: it, Ben. Every time we're talking about, like, the thing that the tomato does, I'm just picturing a little anthropomorphized tomato with a Mm -hmm. face. With the Mm -hmm. poison apple situation, I'm picturing a really mean-looking tomato, you know, with, like, little diagonal eyebrows, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. some fangs or something. And now with this one, I'm picturing a very happy uh, plump tomato riding a pizza's coattails.
0: Have you watched many Japanese pizza commercials? I think I sent a bunch of them to you guys one time. No, a oh
1: gosh, no, I'd love to see some. Oh
0: gosh. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay, we still have to do this show, but Japan has amazing pizza technology. Doesn't always work out, but it's bold, innovative, and the commercials are astonishing.
2: Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with anime. It's backed by a 30 day satisfaction guarantee. So if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at Anabay.com. That's A N A B E I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football. Game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination.
0: That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers
1: here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel?
0: I think you know.
1: It's Harry's.
0: Hmm. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant.
1: Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful.
0: I do really enjoy uh, their line
1: of self-care products. Um, richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like Redwood, wild lens, and Stone. You want to know what a
0: stone smells like? I've often wondered. Well, Only you now you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started
1: with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash
0: history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. Tomatoes were thriving across the pond once the pizza revolution began, but let's go back to North and South America. The first reference to the tomato in North American colonies that were British in origin was published in a book called Botanologia, printed in 1710, and it places the tomato in the Carolinas. The tomato was like acceptable, kind of thought of as a, as a, a, a regional food stuff, but the U.S. wasn't super united. The word of the tomato would spread to places where it wasn't common, but those myths about it would also spread. Like, uh, for a weird period of time, a lot of people knew how to grow tomatoes, but they didn't know what to do with them once they were grown. They didn't have, like, recipes because they thought it was poisonous. There was this really weird incident that many people haven't heard of where, uh, in addition to thinking tomatoes were poison, there was a, a, like, massive outbreak of hysteria about the danger of what was called the green tomato worm. The dreaded green tomato
1: worm. Again, I don't know what's going on with me this morning or afternoon, I guess, but now I'm anthropomorphizing the the dreaded green tomato worm. I'm picturing him just kind of living inside uh, the happy tomato and turning and corrupting it from within. And the evil green tomato worm also has uh, slanty eyebrows. He sort of looks like um, Plankton from uh, SpongeBob maybe a little bit. But he definitely means us harm, that is at least according to uh, a Dr. Fuller um, in New York City who uh, was quoted in the Syracuse Standard as saying he found a five-inch tomato worm in his garden, captured it in a bottle, and did some tests, I would assume, uh, because he described it as being poisonous as a rattlesnake. Uh, And it would throw spittle at its prey, like one of those dilophosaurs in Jurassic Park. Uh, This is terrifying. So, yeah, apparently once your skin would come in contact with this spittle, it would swell up immediately, um, and then the victim would seize up and die. My goodness, so much hate for the tomato and so much fear and trepidation surrounding it and all all that it
0: encompasses. Mm-hmm. And for my cryptid fans in the audience, you'll recognize this has, uh, this has some commonalities with the cryptid known as the Mongolian death worm. Just touching this bad boy is a death sentence. Scary story. Captivating. Also entirely fictional. The tomato worm is mainly dangerous to leaves on tomato plants. Mm -hmm. That's That's its primary target.
1: More of a hungry little caterpillar-esque figure than deadly venom-spitting, you know, hell beast.
0: And unless you are some sort of uh, anthropomorphized leaf on a tomato plant, you're probably going to be safe. Uh, We owe that discovery to an entomologist by the name of Benjamin Walsh. However, the pendulum swings, right? So the pendulum of fear corrected and it swung in the opposite direction <laughs> way yeah. too far. Like they tend to do.
1: That's how pendulums kind of work, aren't they?
0: Yeah, so one of the strange things that happened was that first off, people had these pretty rigid ideas about the quote-unquote right color of food. And according to Andrew F. Smith, the author of The Tomato in America, Early History, Culture, and Cookery, red was not uh, not considered the right color for any kind of food. And people grew them because it was a striking cool color, but they grew them the way you would grow flowers. They weren't planning to eat them most of the time uh, until, that is, 1834. A guy named Dr. John Cook Bennett, who was a physician, an amateur botanist, went public with his claim that tomatoes had medicinal properties. He said that he'd visited European hospitals and colleges and seen doctors recommending tomatoes to patients. Eat tomatoes, he said. They can prevent cholera. They can treat your diarrhea. They can help you with headaches and dyspepsia. People love this good news. People are always interested in health news. Problem is, uh, Dr. Bennett is what we would... um, candidly describe as a quack
1: oh yeah he's like the original kind of like bone broth salesman you know what i mean or like uh, a lot of those products that you see peddled by alex jones types you know or uh, prosperity gospel weirdos that are like doomsday prep kind of buckets of like you know nutragoo goo or what have you but it does turn out that there you know there are some health benefits to tomatoes right ben i mean they're high in you know, certain vitamins, right? And I think Mm -hmm. lycopene is Mm -hmm. something that I think even today I saw uh, a study that lycopene can increase your sperm count. And so there's, like, new studies going into, uh, in the modern
0: day, tomato-based remedies. It can also help prevent certain types of cancer, too. Like, eating tomatoes is not going to kill you. Problem is that Bennett took it too far. He was one of those folks from the wild age of medical expertise. Like sometimes you'll see televangelists who just start calling themselves bishop or something. You can kind of do that same thing if you're very unethical uh, by calling yourself a doctor in the 19th century. Bennett earned a medical degree in 1825, uh, but he also started selling medical degrees for $10. So he's not... He, we're just saying he's not the most trustworthy sort. He became a tomato evangelist. This guy was Mr. Tomato. He was uh, circulating this transcript of his lecture on how great tomatoes are across Ohio, where he resided, and throughout the United States. And he also wasn't the first. He uh, he was a, a heck of a plagiarist. Uh, there was another physician, Thomas Sewell, who gave a lecture in 1825, Uh, about Virginia farmers growing tomatoes. And the the writer Horatio Gates Spafford also wrote about how great the tomato was in 1831.
1: I picture this guy riding around in one of those kind of caravans, like in The Wizard of Oz, you know? The dude, like, with the miracle juice who ends up being the wizard. Spoiler alert for for a movie from the... the 30s. Um, you know, where it's like, what was his name? Mr. Fantastics Magical Wizard Juice or whatever it was. I just picture that being kind of a similar deal because this dude was clearly, you know, peddling this stuff in person. Um, and he sort of marketed it as like a remedy, but then it, it it was a condiment though, too, right? Like it was a sauce, but then he he hired someone to make it into like pill form, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Check this out. This guy's a flim-flam man, and no ding on the tomato. He cited his thorough study of ancient text, and he said that the tomato had always been present in all parts of the world. I guess this is from him reading uh, ancient Mesoamerican languages. Uh, He published recipes for tomatoes, and he also... You know, he, he was a proponent of making tomatoes from ketchup. Ketchup could be its own episode because at the time, uh, ketchup was still much more, I guess, closely descended from its ancient ancestor, garum. It was mm-hmm. made with fish or mushrooms. But this is just an echo and just an iteration of a theme. People have said the same thing about sarsaparilla, mustard, dandelions, and rhubarb, but Bennett doubled down. He said, you have to eat tomatoes. You have to, America, you have to eat tomatoes like every day. You have to eat a ton of them. And soon, at some point, another luminary will come along and take all the beautiful chemical properties of this Plant of this fruit and put them to use, and that is how the tomato pill craze begins in 1837. Yeah, i sorry, I jumped the gun on that one a little bit,
1: Ben, but I appreciate you talking about how you know he he would put forth even like these recipes, right? Where he was saying like if you you know it's okay to fry them up with butter or like you know eat them raw or whatever. However, you're going to take in these tomatoes, do it, and it really was more of like a health craze, and then take it to the next level. Where when you uh, are in a situation where it was you didn't really have an FDA like you would today or certainly not with the same level of rigor mm-hmm. and so anyone could just kind of pill something up and then just start slinging those to the masses and what better way to get the direct and immediate effects of the thing than taking it in pill form that's like that's like a wave of the future too right
0: yeah absolutely i mean think about how futuristic this feels it's sort of like our earlier episode on Uh, watching children in incubators, right? I can just take a pill. I don't have to grow my own tomatoes. This is where Bennett's motivations come into play because he doesn't just believe a genius will come market this. He looks for one and he targets... Another con artist, a man named Archibald Miles, which is definitely like a a sleazy con artist name in something like uh, Oklahoma or whatever. Uh, He he approaches this guy and he says, look, I want you to be the face of these tomato pills. So they make (laughs) Dr. Miles's compound extract of tomato and they're on a PR blitz. Uh, Miles claims that his pills have been scientifically tested and developed through years of R&D to treat everything from like a stomach ache to STDs like syphilis. None of this is true, by the way, but people love it and they see the ads and they want to buy them. And then someone else, a guy named Dr. – oh, a guy named Guy, Dr. Guy R. Phelps, who is actually a physician, who did go to Yale, he starts selling his own version. He calls them compound tomato pills, and he promises the same largely BS results. Miles loses his mind, and there's a... (laughs) It's like this like tomato pill war begins. That's the best thing to call it. There's an anonymous diatribe that's released in a New York paper that is denouncing Guy Phelps' pills and saying they're a baseless imitation. You know, all true medical minds know that the only real tomato pill is Dr. Miles's compound extract of tomato.
1: <laughs> it's no wonder we needed the FDA so desperately, which didn't come around until 1906. So it was absolutely the Wild West of these kind of, like, bold claims. And it was really just, like, almost like a war of uh, marketing, right? Of, like, PR. That's literally all it was because okay, again, sure, there's probably some medicinal value to tomatoes in the same way like taking a vitamin supplement might, you know, give you some beneficial, you know, results, but it's certainly not going to cure all that ails you in the way that this uh, marketing blitz would have you think. And it was massive. Miles had, like, really good contacts and connections in retail that went from like the Gulf coast all the way to Canada. And he didn't really appreciate some of these little kind of startups that were coming and trying to eat his lunch. And so he had an editorial sent into the New York journal of commerce that he kind of, you know, behind the scenes wrote, basically uh, that claimed that Phelps was an absolute quack and a charlatan and not to be trusted. Um, And then Phelps countered in this like PR war saying that Miles, uh, quote, had about as much claimed the title of doctor as my horse and no more.
0: Very smart horse for the very
1: smart horse And, and essentially accused him of stealing his brilliant, you know, tomato pill formula.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Miles continues the war. He issues endorsements purporting to be from other people that say his pills are the original and all other tomato pills are frauds, which is funny because even if his pill is the original, it too is fraudulent. Uh, he publishes another article saying that, okay, yeah, Phelps's pills are a little cheaper, but that's evidence that they don't even contain tomatoes. Friends and neighbors, ladies and gentlemen, do not let this con artist lead you astray. Phelps replied by calling Miles unjust and unmanly. And for two years... The reading public of the United States, and surely the newspaper editors, love this. And they're just like doubling down. They're doing the opposite of what you're supposed to do with journalism. They're publishing increasingly fanciful (laughs) and crazy claims about the power of the one true tomato pill, whichever it may be. But that's when the news broke, Noel. That's when people learned that neither pill actually contained any tomatoes. You know, it's funny to
1: see that now because obviously tomatoes are like at every corner store. They're ubiquitous. But Ben, the whole point of this is that like tomatoes were kind of a novelty at the time. So there was a lot of mystery behind them. You know, people weren't eating tomatoes. It was not a staple food in the country. So that's why this became such a craze because they weren't getting it in the other way. So I'm wondering too, if like were tomatoes maybe more expensive Like, cause, cause they weren't, you know, they were a little more of a niche kind of crop or I'm just wondering like, why, why, why not, why not include any tomato in the pill? I just, I just don't understand like the, the benefit there if they're really trying to preach the gospel of the tomato.
0: Because they knew it was malarkey. It was Mm -hmm. bananas. I shouldn't say bananas, but they, they knew, they knew these pills were a bad tomato from the beginning.
2: Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. It's backed by a 30 day satisfaction guarantee. So if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A N A B E I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence, and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map.
1: And you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta, and today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way, uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their
0: And don't delay. Today you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details.
1: Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.
0: This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch.
1: So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch?
0: So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch.
1: Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online. And by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just fifteen bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous.
0: That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to fifteen bucks a month at mintmobile.com/slash ridiculous.
1: Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions
0: apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So every single tomato pill that was analyzed included not a trace of the plant, and they were still effective in one way because they were placebos, but they weren't harmful placebos. It's not like they included ingredients that could really hurt you, but they did have some medicinal effect as laxatives. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, the the claim, the way they would frame this claim is that taking these pills would purify the patient's blood because it would have you doing the two-step uh, all, all the way to the restroom multiple times a day. And of course, having an excess of laxatives can also have deleterious effects. You know, did we ever do a show on Louis Armstrong's other career as a laxative salesman? Did we mention that? No, we,
1: we did talk about when he got busted at the airport for smuggling weed in his yeah. trumpet case. That was cool. And I believe we've talked about yogurt enemas and that whole crazy mm-hmm. uh, uh, kind of Kellogg, right? Whether It was mm-hmm. the guy that uh, the movie Road to Wellville was based on, and he um, really was into all of these holistic kind of healing, which seems to to have roots in a lot of this kind of thinking. I I think he believed it. Uh these folks definitely seem like they uh, were just trying to make a quick buck. Whereas Kellogg, I believe John Harvey, uh did believe in the snake oil that he was peddling.
0: Yeah. And and uh <laughs> Louis Armstrong, you just Go to your search browser of choice and check out Louis Armstrong laxatives. It's nuts. He was a spokesperson for some laxative companies. Anyhow, you're probably wondering, why don't I have tomato pills now? Well, uh, the answer is that the battle ended seemingly out of the blue in 1839. We still don't know what happened, but behind the scenes, historians think that Phelps and Miles either came to an agreement or they realized that the jig was up and they wouldn't, you know, maybe they made enough money. Tomato pills were still sold, but the national advertising campaigns ended in spring for Phelps and in summer for Miles, and Miles went on to become a real estate investor, but he still described himself as a physician. Phelps founded a life insurance company in Connecticut and continued selling his pills, but without national Networking, right, or infrastructure, into the early 1850s. And although the buzz about tomato pills started to die down, the tomato was now solidified in the zeitgeist of the U.S.
1: Yeah, I mean, we could, I could. There's so many, you know, Italian cuisine, for example. The uh, okay, let's let me back up a step. Just I I, I think the popularization of more, um, let's just say, universal cuisine. Is, is, is a relatively new thing because it required ability to communicate and the ability to kind of share ideas from around the world. And so much amazing cuisine that I think, you know, people love and depend on um, that have obviously been commodified and turned into chain restaurants like Olive Garden and such. Uh, so much tomato involved in all of these things, from pasta sauces to you know, pizza bases to Mexican food. I mean, salsa, for example. There's so many incredible cuisine that really depend on tomato. And even beyond that, just things like uh, that are very American, like stews and fried green tomatoes and like Southern cooking, lots of that, like succotash, you know, with tomatoes and corn and black-eyed peas and all of that, really became a very American tradition. So yeah, it it absolutely caught on in the zeitgeist. Um, It became a side dish. People liked them just raw with a little salt and pepper on it, with some eggs and meat and fish as a side. Tomato pie is a thing who uh, Josh Thane, one of our colleagues, who's an amazing editor and producer um, with our our compatriot Matt Frederick's team, um, always posts this amazing tomato pie that he makes or tarts, Uh, obviously an important base for soups.
0: Yeah, that's right. And people started praising the adaptability and versatility of the tomato. You could have it as a part of any given meal. And by the early 1850s, millions of bushels of tomatoes were grown in New England alone. And it reminds me of one story we haven't mentioned today because it's somewhat apocryphal. There's, there's this old tale that a guy named Colonel Robert Gibbon Johnson of Salem, New Jersey brought the tomato home from abroad in 1808, and uh, people still considered back at that time, people still considered it ornamental rather than a foodstuff. And so on September 26, 1820, so the story goes, he said, I'm going to prove that the tomato is not poisonous and it can be safely eaten. So he stood on the steps of the Salem courthouse and ate an entire basket of tomatoes while people gathered to watch him get sick and die. <laughs> when he didn't die, <laughs> apparently, I'd sold the tomato again, that's not, you know, that that's not solidly proven. but it's a great story. I guess for our epilogue, we can say, you know, a lot of the things that we brought up as far as health benefits are true. Tomatoes can decrease your risk of osteoporosis of several types of cancer. And as you said, Noel, they're rich in lycopene. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and and, and like I said, I I did uh, see a study just in the news today um, where it's being tested for uh, improving sperm count. And and there are some uh, potential real benefits there. So it's not all... BS. And also, you know, I get why people were a little distrustful of the tomato in its raw form. I certainly was. I didn't like raw tomatoes until I was well into my like twenties, honestly, uh, and I still not something I would just eat a slice of on its own. But I'm getting there. I really do like it on a salad now. I like it obviously on burgers and stuff, and I'm just a huge fan of like cooking them down to make a uh, you know really really good ragu and, and uh, all that. And I know that you you're fond of that too, Ben. You're a you're a cooking man.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also just a a nice heirloom tomato with a little bit of salt and pepper, you know, when they're in season. But here's the thing I always try to explain to people. If a food seems acceptable to you now and it feels ridiculous uh, to imagine people being scared of tomatoes in the past, remember they'd never seen one before. You know, they this was their first time. So, of course, it's weird. And you've heard all these myths about it. Uh, I always like the cheese comparison. I was talking to some of my friends who were from Southeast Asia recently. And just imagine this. If you've never seen cheese before and someone describes it to you. Gross. And then yeah, and then ask if you want to try it. Now bear with me, bear with bear, me, here. bear okay. with me. Yeah. No, the mold is the good part. No, that's Keep what the, you want. So, so it's weird, you know. We have to we have to have an open mind. Um, you know, the last thing I have to say about this is we mentioned uh, astute listeners. All our listeners are astute. We mentioned something about witchcraft and werewolves from that Atlas Obscura article. Uh, this goes back to the mandrake confusion because mandrake. Nightshade, hem, Henbane, and so on are pretty close botanical relatives of the tomato. There was this whole thing about uh, about some of these nightshade-like things being used in witches brew for their broomsticks, which we covered in an earlier episode, or being used to transform people into wolves. So it's possible that there were Europeans who were like, try a tomato, uh-uh, I might get branded a witch. So luckily, luckily, we have proven that eating a tomato does not make you a werewolf.
1: Well, and let's not forget the uh, the place that the tomato holds in terms of pillorying folks that are like in the stocks or whatever. Oh, yeah, for yeah. Either like a crime or just bad stand up comedy or like, you know, uh, rotten tomatoes because they squish. There's a whole website called Rotten Tomatoes that's devoted to talking trash about movies. So it's definitely got an interesting role in that side of uh, pop culture as well but don't take our word for it. You can read up more about tomatoes on uh, this fantastic Mental Floss article when tomatoes were marketed as medicine, or the aforementioned Atlas Obscura article about that goes a lot more into tomatoes' roles in witchcraft and and werewolfery. In the meantime, huge thanks to Super producer Casey Pegram joining Christopher Hasiotis in the clouds in spirit this time. Hopefully, he's back very soon. Um, he he is on adventures, as you would say, Ben. Big thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Hopefully, keeping a good watch on super producer Casey Pegram in the spirit realm.
0: Um, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, mm-hmm. and as always, huge thanks to our own Rotten Tomato, Jonathan Strickland, aka The Quister. I'm really enjoying this. I've, I've got this new habit where I'm just trying to make topical references to him in the thank yous. We'll see if it works out. Also, big, big thanks to our own main man, research wise, Gabe L., who is hopefully snacking on a tomato sandwich right now. Uh, Weird story, Noel, I I have a a close friend, a a person named uh, Diana Brown, who might be listening to this episode today, who introduced me to tomato sandwiches. There's just tomatoes and mayonnaise. I think it's like the weirdest thing ever. I'm just not on board with it. What about why not
1: just add the bacon and make it a BLT? I
0: would just see? take it, you know. Why stop? Like, why stop halfway? Anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We want to hear your weird food history stories. Also, shout out to uh, for anyone who loves reading about the history of food. Uh, Mark Kurlansky wrote a great book called Salt. He wrote another great book called Cod. Uh, let's see if we can get him to write some books about uh, vegetables
1: in the future. We'll see you next time, folks. QX80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.